Tooth and Claw, Volume 1, Issue 6, Lincoln, England, Present Day. The St Giles estate was typical. Small terraced houses and low blocks of flats crushed into a mass of dull brickwork and narrow, shadow-strewn paths and alleys. Howard pulled the car up at the edge of the block and turned the engine off, rain still pattering the roof. Well, here we are. Not the nicest part of the city by a long shot. Stay in the car, Drake ordered. He turned to Ross in the back. Are you ready? Ross nodded slowly, instinctively reaching to the pistol holstered under his jacket. They left Howard nervously drumming his fingers on the steering wheel and entered the estate. The house looked empty from the outside. Closer inspection revealed a weak blue light flexing in the front room. As they neared the door, the low hum of a television set grew to a threatening din. Drake stepped forward and knocked firmly. Once. Twice. On the third knock, the door cracked open. A bloodshot eye and a thick bunch of matted hair appeared cautiously at the edge of the frame. Hello, Drake said warmly. The face turned. The door swung, dead weight to reveal a dark hallway. The three men stepped into the house in time to see a young woman in a grubby white t-shirt and faded pink underwear scamper into another room, slamming the door behind her. Ross looked at Drake, who shrugged. He looked ahead to where the sound and the blue light seeped from. Ross felt the air grow heavier as they neared the room, as if the humidity pulled the space around them into a foamy mist. He loosened his tie. His palms began to sweat. A voice emerged from the room, deep and slow. I've been waiting for you. They turned into the dimly lit room. Peeling yellow wallpaper exposed stained plaster, scribbles of obscene language and explicit figures peppering the sides of the dank box. Mildew and rot seeped through the air, clinging to the ripped settee and rickety table. A small television pumped out a cheap action film. Gunfire and screaming throbbed to an industrial soundtrack. Facing the screen was a sunken green armchair, an upturned crate next to it, piled high with beer cans and empty cigarette packets, marble reds. In the chair, Duckstone Senior. He slouched so deeply it was difficult to properly gauge how huge he was. Still, he was even bigger than his son. Spilling out of a soiled vest and a filthy pair of tracksuit bottoms, he sneered at the men as they entered. Drake spoke first. I know. We've had a very interesting evening with your son. Ha, huh, so I hear. Fight night down the Ritz. You're already acting like a local. Duckstone took his time when he spoke. The low frequency seemed to lag behind, oozing like treacle. The thick cigarette smoke and the mould mixed into a sluggish haze that made Ross feel nauseous. You'll hear about the stadium, Duckstone said formally. A smudge of lank brown hair was scraped across the top of his head. Beads of sweat dripped from it and ran down his brow. His face was squashed and piggish. His pointed nose and puckered lips pushed so close together they stuck out like a beak. Thick plumes of cigarette smoke danced around him. It'll take a while for forensics to get back to us with anything. You left a hell of a mess, Drake said calmly. Duckstone snorted. Drake let a narrow smile play across his lips. I'd bet money if they do manage to salvage any DNA from the victim, it'll be someone of Eastern European descent. 
I didn't think the order paid you enough to gamble, Dockstone said, scratching his cheek with a long, sharp fingernail. Suddenly, he slammed his fist against the wall behind him and hollered in a voice that penetrated the entire space of the room. Get me another beer, woman! The weight and solidity of his command felt like a drop in pressure. A scuffle of noise from the hallway. The girl appeared and nervously handed Duckstone a can of Tenant Super Strong. He slid his arm around her waist and leered at Drake and Ross. The girl turned her face from him slightly, subduing a shudder as her rigid form was drawn over the armrest and onto his lap. Just like the good old days, a fine maiden, captive and docile, resigned to her lot. He looked around the squalid room. Lairs aren't what they were, though. What do you think, Drakey boy? Drake looked at him sternly. I think that's all well and good. You're old-fashioned. Duckstone grinned horribly at him. Drake shook his head. That can only go so far, Duckstone. You know the agreement. Public displays of power are verboten. The grin disappeared. He shoved the girl off onto the floor. She immediately jumped up and bolted out of the room. With a great heave, Duckstone leant forward in his chair, twisting his face into a snarl. His teeth were pointed and sharp, his lips pulled back to reveal blood-red gums that strained and tightened to a dirty white. Ross shifted his weight, poised. It seemed as if Duckstone's skin was undulating as he gripped the sides of the chair, a wet rippling, fleetingly translucent with the irregular pulse of the television light. Something underneath it, moving and stretching. I've stuck to the pack for as long as it's been in place, he bellowed, the room pounding back a slow echo. Until last night, Drake said calmly. It's unacceptable. You know the order can't let it slide. Enough is enough, Duckstone said, still angry but thinking now. I can only take so much disrespect. The gangmasters? The Ardaleans? Fucking gypsies, Duckstone spat. I've run those workers as long as there's been factories on the fens. Those Polish, Romanians who came brought their banditas with them. At least the Afghans and Kurds kept quiet, shell-shocked, I suppose. <laughs> he chuckled, the sound catching in his throat and scraping out with another blast of smoke. We saw Clive having a chat with them, out of the garage, Drake said. Duckstone drew his head back sharply, coughing more smoke into the room with a trapped grating noise. Good. He's been out of his depth. These fuckers are organised. I had to send them a message. You were almost seen. And what? Duckstone was leaning forward even more now, his back straightening. Ross bent slightly at the knees and prepared to move. He felt if Duckstone left the chair, he would somehow expand, filling the whole room and suffocating them both. Drake seemed unfazed. You've tethered us for centuries, kept us bound in this pathetic call, Duckstone continued, looking disgustedly at his body. It felt good to stretch for once. He spoke as in a remembrance of bliss. He slowly tilted back his head as he spoke and a sudden jet of bright flame bursting from his mouth and licking the ceiling. It felt good to breathe. Ross reached for his holster. Before he could draw, Drake's hand shot over and stopped him, squeezing hard. Already Ross was sweating from the blast of heat, his mouth filling with a taste of scorched wet yeast, singed plaster and alcohol. I can tell you're frustrated, said Drake, still relaxed, but there cannot be a flare-up. Duckstone looked slowly back down at them and laughed loudly, smoke still peeling into the room. Nothing to worry about there, he said with a grin. I've made my point. Things will be back to normal soon enough. You think your little show will stop them, Drake said acidly, his contempt pushing at the edge of his calm. 
They're running a serious operation. At least two of their captains are over here now. Regardless of politics, they're here to stay. I don't think so, Drake, Duckstone continued happily. He eased back into his seat and took a swig of his beer. There's history in these lands, English history. We won't let foreigners muscle in. If they've any Romany in them, they'll take the warning. And even if they don't, he was almost vibrating with glee now. His lips spread into a thin smile. What? Drake demanded. I've spent a penny in the bog, Duckstone cackled. His voice pinched, almost quacking. It blended with the howls of pain coming from the television. It saturated the room with a piercing clarity that made Ross double over. He shouted at Drake over the violent noise. What the hell does he mean? Drake looked at him quickly, then back at Duckstone. The giant's laughter now rocked the room and assailed the structure of his words. His whole being trembled at the effort. I've set the worm on them. Sydney, Australia, 15 years earlier. Robert ran from the restaurant in a daze, trying to focus one foot in front of the other, his insides raging in a tumult of heat and motion. His mind zigzagged from feelings of incredible closeness with Chen Tang, a shared knowledge he never knew even existed and yet still could not explain, and a violent feeling of being lost, his life threatening to separate from his body so Robert Drake was shed like a snakeskin. He had known what was different about him when they had spoken the words in the storeroom, but what did it actually mean? To be a dragon? He was still evidently human, and what was a dragon anyway? How did this difference in feeling, this ever-present flowing of energy in his body translate into knowing it was part of some mythical creature? He struggled to process a new way of experiencing, an awareness that came not through any of the normal senses, perhaps not even the normal dimensions. As he stumbled out of Chinatown, his brain feeling like it was being sliced and reassembled, he failed to notice the young man watching him from a safe distance. He failed to notice it was Grom. Lin Hua found him on the rocks at Wiley's Baths, where they'd often sat together after a swim, drying off and talking idly. His shirt was off and he lay on his back basking, the crescent of Kuji Beach spread almost empty behind him. The heat and light beat against his eyelids and his head throbbed with countless thoughts and sensations. He felt he was slowly rising out of his skin like steam, curling around the surface of his body, waiting to be whipped up and away by the blast of breeze and salt foam, away into the ocean. Sounds merged into a cacophony of tones on the verge of some sonic explosion, frequencies threatening to shatter and merge into some unheard polyphony. Yet he could still isolate every single source, even to the point of seeing the individual resonators. Every contour of rock that stopped and reflected the wind, every drop of water smashing into every pebble, every passing car engine. Behind closed eyes, he visited these locations, the airwaves colouring with the sonic information vibrating out into the world. With this new awareness, he realised he knew Lee and Hua's footsteps even as they gingerly skirted the wet stone steps that led down from the road to the water's edge. I knew I would find you here, she said, standing beside him. There was caution in her voice, her words clear but also like a mist filling available space. 
Robert didn't immediately look up. I don't remember getting here. I got on a bus. He opened his eyes slowly, realizing his words were drowsy. The clear blue of the ocean and the bright sunshine instantly snapped into focus. A crash soon, and for a moment he thought he could see the very ripples of ocean swell, hundreds of miles out to sea. His head rocked forward and his vision returned to normal. He smiled unexpectedly and almost laughed at the sensation. Then he turned to Lianhua. I could hear your footsteps from the very top. I knew they were yours. Yes, she said with a sad smile, the glare of the sun making her face shine, tiny droplets of sea spray glistening on her eyebrows. Robert marveled at the complexities of light they contained, like the tiniest of snow globes or lanterns shifting in the wind. What's happening to me? Robert reached up and took her hand in his. The skin was soft and cool, yet when she squeezed his hand back, a surge of warmth passed between them. Lianhua flinched a little, but then, still holding his hand, knelt down beside him. I am so sorry, Robert. I wanted to tell you from the beginning, but Grandfather insisted. She stopped and looked down. How could I have told you, though? Robert felt his stomach rise to hang in his chest. He gently took her chin in his other hand and raised her head. Their face is close now. It's true, then. Yes, it's true. Robert's head swam. His insides churned, a scraping hot chemical taste creeping up his throat. He leant over the rocks and vomited into the swirling ocean, his vision pulsing with stars. Spent, breathless, he collapsed and closed his eyes, Lianhua still holding his hand. As his nausea subsided, he felt the cool, damp air that clung to his skin and the chill of the wet rock against his back. A weight seeped through his body. He seemed to sink into the solidity of the stone, geological time contracting so he could feel the porousness of the microscopic, the structural impermanence of eroded sandstone, so immediately durable, yet with a new sense of scale, of fragility he could fall into. Robert? Nienhua spoke softly. He opened his eyes and looked calmly at her. I'm okay, I think. He sat up again and placed his other hand on top of hers, sealing the connection. So another surge of heat shot up her arm, radiating into her torso. She shivered, her skin prickling. Robert felt her tense and sensed an opening, an opportunity. He looked intensely into her eyes and as he spoke he could almost see the sound of his voice move through the air as dark red ripples. They swirled and engulfed Lianhua's head. You must tell me everything. She frowned with concentration and shook her head in dismissal. Robert, stop. Her eyes flashed jet black. Robert felt a jolt like a clap of thunder. He dropped her hand and looked down. I'm sorry, I... I don't know what's happening. The intensity of sound died with the rhythmic whisper of the waves. Lianhua composed herself, tentatively took his hand once more. Come home with me, Robert. You must talk with Grandfather. He will show you how to be. They rode the bus back to Chinatown in silence, the sun floating toward the horizon so its light seemed to angle upwards, slanting perspective. Everything felt taller as shadows crept into the reddening heat haze, the play of colour through the window entranced him, the city morphing with convulsions of temperature and sound, one huge organism. 
25 minutes later, they alighted. Just round the corner from the restaurant, Lianhua stopped. You know grandfather's ways well enough, Robert. Please listen to him and forgive his manner of speech. He will be honest with you. I want you there, Robert said firmly, then lightened. Maybe you can translate? Lianhua smiled softly. The restaurant was almost empty. Six men sprawled out on the chairs and tables nearest the door. Chen Tang stood behind the counter, puffing on his pipe and deep in a newspaper. Robert recognized Johnny, Grom, and more of their gang. Grandfather, Lin Hua shouted as she saw them. Chen Tang looked up slowly, a hint of a smile on his lips. Ah, good, you found him. I worried he had come too far. What are they doing here, said Robert. He moved with Lian Hua toward the counter. Chen Tang looked over at the gang who had lazily roused themselves and stood facing them. They're waiting for you. They've been here a while, Robert. They're the ones who attacked me. Hmm, I thought as much. Chen Tang placed the newspaper on the counter. The tall one seems familiar somehow. He waved his pipe at Johnny. Shut up, old man, Grom shouted angrily. Take Lian Hua out back and stay there. Johnny put one hand on Grom's shoulder, lit a cigarette with the other. His words seeped out lazily with the smoke. You look remarkably well, he said to Robert. Didn't think we'd see you again, considering. Robert gave Johnny a hard stare, watching the smoke flash from nostrils, the mouth curl into a sharp grin. The rest of the room thinned into a stretched veil, objects blurring into the sounds and smells of the restaurant, the red and white tablecloths bleeding into the wooden interior and the cold surfaces of the counter. Everything dulled and muted, except Johnny. Robert saw him in crystalline detail, the smoke framing him so he seemed bigger, taunting Robert with a dominance of focused space. Triad business is always finished business, Johnny said finally. Robert surged toward Johnny, down the tunnel of his consciousness. He felt his limbs activate, but ahead of their actual movement, a rapid rehearsal that translated into a fluid rush through the room to his target. Just as he reached Johnny, he heard a voice enter his mind, the others. Three of the gang had moved to cut him off. His arms were yanked away by the two largest, but Robert was ready. Bending his arms, he tensed his biceps with a flush of strength, yanking the two men towards him. Just as they were about to crash together, Robert dropped a shoulder, twisted down to the side and cocked his other arm sharply behind his head. The two men were catapulted into opposite cartwheels, firing off to the side, crashing into the counter and the wall opposite. Leading with his right fist, Robert pushed up sharply from his half-kneeling position. The third man, his jaw shattered, crunched up off the floor and splashing through a table, chopsticks and china flying. Grom, startled, took a jump backwards. Robert centred himself and took another step toward Johnny, who wore a look of surprised amusement. Robert lunged for his throat with remarkable speed. Johnny, quicker, raised his hands, grabbing Robert's forearms. Robert pushed hard, gritting his teeth, a rising heat in his belly. There wasn't much in it, but Johnny was too strong for him. Johnny looked hard at him, the surprise in his face betrayed by a creeping concern. A remarkable recovery, he strained, examining Robert. Enough, he shouted, his voice billowing into a dark chorus. He slammed his forehead onto Robert's nose, sending him flying back across the room into the counter. Robert, Lian Hua screamed as she rushed to him. For the third time that day, Robert's head was spinning. His vision blurred. 
Through the daze, he saw Chen Tang launch himself over the counter in a blur of pipe smoke and white cotton. A slap, a yelp, a thud, a groan. Chen Tang turned to Johnny, last man standing. Robert felt the voice one more time before he blacked out. That voice. Now watch how I deal with a half-breed. Written and recorded by James Fisher. Edited and read by Andy Bennett. Music by Aquifer.